So we've been in a series called God Is. It was inspired by Scripture and the Holy Spirit, but also by a quote from a guy named A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our mind when we think about God, that's the most important thing about us. So, so months ago, we had a snow weekend. I asked people to fill in the blank, God is, and one of the most popular answers that came back surprised me. One of the most popular answers that came back, and it's a very popular view in the world today, was that God is anti-sex. That's what we're talking about all weekend. Game on, all right? People expressed it in different ways. They said God is a prude. Someone said God is restrictive. Another person said God is closed-minded. One bold person said God is frigid. Another person said God is too demanding when it comes to the physical restrictions that he places on us. And in each expression, there was a predetermined idea that God somehow was anti-sex. If you're visiting, I hope you'll come back again sometime, okay? People make the decision, well, if God is anti-sex, then his followers must also be anti-sex or, or maybe they're supposed to be. And then we just get all kind of messed up. Skeptics have been talking about the Christian view of sex for years. Bertrand Russell was a famous skeptic from years and years and years ago. He wrote a book that will tell you his position. The name of the book is Why I Am Not a Christian, okay? And he said this, the worst feature of the Christian religion, however, is its attitude towards sex, an attitude so morbid, so unnatural. The conception of sin, which is bound up with Christian ethics, is one that does an extraordinary amount of harm since it affords an outlet for their sadism, which they actually believe to be legitimate and even noble. That's bold, isn't it? I mean, Russell just basically said, a Christian viewpoint on sexuality, it actually does damage. It's hurting people because instead we should just be unfettering ourselves and doing whatever we want to. He basically says, if you read his book, that Christians have no business putting any kind of sex into a sin category and that to put any restrictions on sex is an infringement of a natural right. Now, we hear Bertrand Russell, we go, that's all right, he's been dead for a long time. There's modern skeptics that say the same thing. Chaz Buffet is a young man. He writes a very popular blog. It's called 20 Reasons to Abandon Christianity. Okay? He said this, in addition to the misery produced by authoritarian Christian intrusions into the sex lives of non-Christians, Christianity produces great misery amongst its own adherents through its insistence that sex, except for the narrow variety that it sanctions, is both evil and against God's law. Indulging in such things can and will, in the conventional Christian view, lead you straight to hell. Now we hear that, and it's just like, oh, it's okay, it's on the internet, you know, it's out there in the blogosphere, not that big of a deal. And I know this is going to shock you, but you can find this belief system in Whatcom County. <gasps> wow. Don't believe me? I overheard a conversation last week at a coffee shop. All right? And here's the deal. If you talk loud enough for me to hear, game on. I reserve the right to quote you. Okay? I was not eavesdropping. This guy's just talking to his friend. And he said this. He said his friend was actually sharing his faith with him. And he said, I would become a Christian in two seconds if they would just loosen the reins on sex. That's it. Just loosen the reins. I'm down with it. All right? So skeptics are openly questioning is God anti-sex? To which I would respond with a simple question on the popular view, okay? Here's my simple question. How can God be anti-sex when he both created and encouraged sex, okay? If you open your Bible, you don't even get out of the first chapter and God's talking about it. 
Okay? Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, okay, here it comes, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So we meet a creative God. He makes a man and then he makes a woman, and then he basically turns them loose with these instructions. Be fruitful and increase in number. That's Hebrew for game on, let it rip, fill the earth, get a room. Okay, that's what he's saying. All right? So God created sex and encouraged Adam and Eve to actually have sex. You don't believe me? Read your Bible, okay? So God doesn't have a problem with sex. He encouraged it, all right? Now, some of us have this twisted view that, okay, all right, you know, God created it, but, you know, the devil was there somewhere, right? So we get this weird picture in our brain. Here's God. You know, he creates Adam out of dust, and then he takes out a rib, and he creates Eve, and, and he puts them together, and everything's wonderful and good. And then all of a sudden, there's a problem with the aardvark. And so God's over here doing, you know, aardvark kind of stuff. And while he's preoccupied over here, the devil sneaks in, and he's making stuff too. And he sticks a penis here and a vagina here, you know. And then God turns back around, and it's just like, what is that? I was making Ken and Barbie. Look at what? You know I'm talking the truth, all right? Don't pretend like, what? (laughs) Don't play innocent with me, 10 o'clock, all right? But that's the view we get that somehow God didn't even see it coming. Can we just get rid of that lunacy? Your body, your desire, your purity, your heart, your soul, all of that was God's idea. Can I get one muted amen from that, okay? That's God's idea. So Satan didn't come in and hijack the idea, but the truth is he does like to twist God's perfection, doesn't he? God is a pure idea. Satan comes along, puts his twist on it. He twists, he counterfeits what God intended for good, and that's what creates a mess of trouble for people. Okay, I don't believe it's a stretch to make this statement. And this is not an original outline with me, Pastors have talked about this all, you know, along the way, and so, but we're going to walk through it this way as well. I don't think it's a stretch to make this statement. The world we live in says sex is God, okay? And that's where so many people are today. If you don't believe me, you need to come and sit in my office some week. I would say somewhere between 60 and 75% of the conversations that I have somehow come down to a sexual issue in one way, shape, or form. Because so many people are here. Let's just be honest. Let's have an honest, authentic conversation about this. Many people in our society today worship sex. You spend your life pursuing sex. You spend your time watching sex. You orchestrate your social calendar on how you're going to try and get sex. You create relationships and enter into relationships that are based on sex. And the Bible just drives us crazy. Drives us crazy because the Bible says if your God is what you spend most of your time and your treasure on then if we were to be really, really honest, we would just have to say, my God, it's sex. Okay? Now, some of you are skeptical. You're like black and white statistics. Let me share with you. More money is spent on pornography in this country than professional football, baseball, and basketball combined. So, I mean, I've made the joke before, right? People say that baseball is America's favorite pastime. Apparently not. 
Apparently it's porn. Greatest consumers of pornography are boys between the ages of 12 and 17. Parents, if you have a 13-year-old boy and you haven't had the talk yet, you're too late. And if you don't talk to them, I promise you somebody else will. Okay? 47% of internet, act, of internet users access porn on a regular basis. Almost half. 50% of the men who actually admitted it and 30% of the women who actually admitted it said that they regularly access porn while they're working. So they were doing it while they're working. All right? The fastest growing audience of pornography on the internet are women between the ages of 40 and 52. Like, what? It's true. Okay? It's a statistic. That is a black and white fact. It's black, it's white. It's not 50 shades of gray. And if you got that... I'm really glad you're here. Just saying, all right? Write me an email. Okay, anyway. It's a national obsession, and any restriction of that hunger is seen as an offense. Margaret Sanger, she was the founder of Planned Parenthood. She said and described, she goes, the enjoyment of sexual freedom is the only method by which someone can find inner peace, security, and beauty. She said, we need to remove the constraints and prohibitions which now hinder the release of our inner energy, and then most of larger evils of society will perish. So Sanger says, what we need to do is just not get all caught up in these prohibitions, release ourselves, and here's what will happen. Theft will go down. The greater ills of society will disappear if we just unleash ourselves sexually. So she's saying, go for it. Live unfettered. Do what you want, when you want, with who you want. Cast off restraint because anybody who comes and says there's any kind of boundary around this area, they're just an archaic expression of repression. The Apostle Paul has something to say about that. Philippians chapter 3, he speaks to that mentality that says, just do whatever you want to. He speaks to that idea that was prevalent in his particular time called Gnosticism, where you take your physical body, you separate it out from your soul. As long as your soul is okay, you're good. Your physical body, you can do whatever you want to. It's called Gnosticism. The Apostle Paul is speaking to that. Philippians 3, he says this, For as I've told you before, and now I say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is is their shame. He's saying that there's a hunger built inside of each one of us, and it's actually pure. God put it there. But when we feed the hunger outside of the parameters that God has placed around us, eventually, that thing that brings us so-called pleasure ends up becoming a piece of shame in our heart. So Paul is saying here, the God of this age Satan is going to pursue you with every temptation known to man for one reason, because he wants to corrupt what God said was good. So, the world says, and I believe I can make a case for it, that sex is God. Let's not let the church off the hook, though, okay? I think the church has done a terrible job of portraying God's truth when it comes to sex. Because I grew up hearing this message. I believe the church has been guilty of saying sex is gross. I grew up, and this was the message that I heard about sex for the first 14 years in church. This was the message. You got it? Shh. Don't say anything. 
say anything, the kids will figure it out. Just leave it alone. It'll go away. That was the idea, right? Until you got to 14 or 15, and then the message changed just a little bit. It went something like this. Sex is bad. Sex is gross. Sex is bad. Sex is gross. Sex is bad. Sex is gross. Save it for the one you love. Oh, you're married? Go. What? Just happened. So the gross, disgusting thing you told me to stay from, now I'm supposed to give it to the person I love the most on the face of the planet? <laughs> How does that go together, right? It's spiritual whiplash, and it doesn't line up with what Scripture says is true. That was my experience. So you got the world, right? Sex is God. It's everywhere. And you got the church saying, well, sex is gross. We don't really talk about that around here. You're going to learn real quickly. There's not much we won't talk about. That's how we roll, Christ the King, okay? <laughs> and then God shows up and says, and we made a promise at the beginning of the series, we're going to let God speak for Himself. So let's do that. The God of heaven says all through Scripture that sex is a gift. It's a gift. All right? Now, if you've been here before when we've talked about this topic, you know that I have a little list of things that sex is for, okay? I'm going to tell you something. This is like sex is for... 2.0, all right, because I've been adding some stuff to my list, okay, just because. All right, anyway, the Bible says sex is for the fulfillment and the anticipation of love. Emphasis on the words fulfillment and anticipation. Song of Solomon, beautiful book written about a conversation about sex, believe it or not, and it's in your Bible. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 5 says this, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. So let me tell you what that is. That is divine permission to wait and anticipate the beauty of God's design. Now, this is where it gets personal. And at the 1137 service, when I preach this with my wife sitting right over there, she's going to blush, and I'm okay with that, all right? But I'm going to say this because I think it's, it needs to be relevant to what we're really talking about. I waited 22 years for the fulfillment of every sexual desire I ever had. I waited 22 years until I got married to have that fulfillment, Okay? Now, just like, oh, wow, that's holy. Actually, I had good Baptist guilt. I was just scared to death, okay? Let's be honest about the fulfillment of it, okay? But I waited, I waited, and I'm going to say something else that's going to make Laurel blush. It was worth the wait. It was worth it. It was worth it. Scripture says that there's a fulfillment and an anticipation that comes when God says, this is good, and now in the right context, I want you to enjoy it. I wish I would have heard this so many years ago. Love waits. Lust rushes. Love anticipates. It dreams. Lust presumes and assumes. This will be the outcome. Lust lies. Love tells the truth. And the truth is, God loves it when two people focus their relationship on Him, are committed and covenant with each other first, and then fully enter into enjoyment what God has created. I need some encouragement. Can I get an amen from somebody on that one? All right, let's just keep going, all right? 
What else is sex for? Sex is for seduction and pleasure and comfort. Some people are just like, oh, I don't even like those words. That seducing word, right? In the right context, it's not a bad thing. Pleasure is not a bad thing. Comfort's not a bad thing. In fact, it ticks me off that we've left the description and the beauty of physical love to sex advice columnists and romance novel writers, right? The truth is the Bible's got a lot to say about romance and sensuality between a husband and a wife. In fact, there's a whole book on it, right? Song of Solomon. You should read it. Let me read Scripture to you. A conversation between a husband and wife, between two lovers, and somebody like, that's Bible? Yes, it is. It says, you've stolen my heart, my lover, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my lover, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garment is like the fragrance of Lebanon. That's cultural, and I think it means Lebanon smells really good. Okay, but just saying, all right? Verse 12, you are a garden locked up. My lover, my bride, you are a spring enclosed. You are a sealed fountain. That's your Bible. God apparently doesn't have an issue with that kind of conversation between husband and wife because he put it in your Bible. It's just reinforcing. Sex is a pursuit of all things pure in a relationship. It's a consummation that brings pleasure and comfort. I mean, years ago, I was actually warned as a young man, like just like, you need to stay away from that sex stuff because, you know, it leads you down the wrong path and it feels bad. Okay, let's not let this get weird, but... If anyone ever told you it feels bad, they lied. Okay? They, they lied. And God says in the right place. It's beautiful. Let's keep going. Sex is for oneness. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The husband and wife will become one flesh. So sex is a beautiful expression of a husband and wife becoming one flesh. That's the way God looks at you. If you're married today and you're here, God doesn't see you as two. He sees you as one, intertwined together to the point where to pull that apart would do unbelievable damage to both sides. So you are one, which means this. Let me talk bluntly to the married people in the room. I'll talk to the singles in a little bit, okay? The other half of you, the other half of one That's your standard for beauty for the rest of your life, which means this. If your spouse is short, you're into short. If your spouse is tall, you're into tall. If your spouse is a nerd, you're into nerds, okay? If your spouse is bald, you're into bald. Some of you are like, but they didn't used to be bald or a nerd, okay? Your standard changed, okay? It shifted. It moved, okay? You're one. For better or for worse, for richer or for poor, receding hairline, the whole bit, before gravity, after gravity, that's both sides, okay? I'm going to stop talking now, but that's what, thus saith the Lord. Okay, anyway, all right? You are one, and you're to cultivate that one relationship. Here's the issue with those of you who are married, you're, sorry, you're not married, but you're having sex. You're not one, you're two. You're two. Two lives, two souls, two agendas, two futures. And God says the only way the two can become one 
and enjoy real intimacy is when you covenant together and put God in the center of your relationship. So it happens all the time after I preach one of these messages. A couple comes in and they want to talk about what does the Bible have to say about living together. Do you know that the divorce rate amongst cohabiting couples that eventually do get married is 300 times higher than the rate of a couple that doesn't live together first? I mean, when are we just going to do that math and go, okay, that makes sense? But we always have the same conversation. Guy comes in, girl comes in, we want to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about cohabiting. I'm like, okay, let's have that conversation. You don't have an issue with me, just let's talk about what Scripture says. And, and the guy says, you know, we just want to know why you have an issue with it. I'm like, I actually don't have an issue with it. Scripture has an issue with it. And so let's just, ask, let's just ask a really, really bold question. I always ask the guy exactly the same thing. So, how do you explain to her that she's good enough to live with but not good enough to marry? And then she looks at me, and then she looks at him and says, I'd like to hear the answer to that question too. <laughs> I say that... You've never addressed the issue of permanency. You've never committed. You're half in. And you're not even one, you're two. So you're half of half in. And God says you can't enjoy everything I've created for you unless you put a covenant and a commitment in there first. Let's keep going. Sex is for the creation of children. Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful. Increase in number. Okay, if you didn't know that... We should talk privately. All right, so anyway, let's keep going. Sex is for intimate knowledge. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife, and he knew her. He knew her physically. He knew her emotionally. He knew her spiritually. In exactly nine days, Laurel and I will celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. It's a pretty cool thing. You know, it's good. It's all right. And I can tell you something about Laurel. She knows me. She knows me. She's seen the best of me. She's experienced the worst of me. She knows my insecurities. She knows my fear. She knows my sin. She knows my past, my present. She knows a lot about my future because I'm predictable. She knows my weaknesses, my strengths. She knows my dreams. She knows me. And every day when I go home and she's still there, that is a testimony to God's faithfulness. Also shows what an amazing human being she is because I'm a fairly high-maintenance human being to be with. Just saying, all right? She knows me. And intimacy, the, the kind that God's talking about here, it's a natural outflow of when someone knows you. Okay? Let's talk about this last one. Sex is for protection. This one is sadly neglected in so many marriages. In a world where adultery is commonplace and affairs are an everyday occurrence, people overlook the simple protection that loving sex provides in protecting a marriage. So I'm on the way in this morning listening to the radio, and they're interviewing a husband and wife couple who run a website. I'm not going to say the name of the website because I don't want you to go there, but basically it's a place. Their, their motto is this, life is short, have an affair. And it's a place where you can go to hook up with somebody, even if you're married, and have an affair. Here's what blew me away. They have 25 million members in 37 countries. What's that a sign of? Disposable relationships. Go get your needs met. It's all good. You're fine. Now, I want you to listen to this. Listen to Paul as a single man, okay? For those of you who are here today and you're single, 
I'm so glad you're a part of Christ the King. You guys keep, just thank you. And I'd like to say something to you, to those of you who are married, um, in regards to how we treat our single brothers and sisters. Can we stop as a loving group of people reinforcing the idea that they will be whole if they can get another human being into their life? Like, can we just knock that off and leave it alone? If their focus is on Jesus and Jesus alone, we should be cheering for them. We should be excited about the fact that they are consumed with loving Jesus and pursuing Jesus. And if God so wills it that another human being comes in, can we just leave that up to God? Can we be excited for the fact that maybe we can just celebrate? I mean, here's a clue. Jesus was single. (laughs) Seemed to work out okay for him, right? Yes, all right, okay. I mean, so listen to the Apostle Paul, another single guy encouraging married people to protect their relationship, okay? I'm going to read from the message. Yeah, I know it's a translation, or sorry, it's a paraphrase. It's not a translation of Scripture, but it was a paraphrase done with one of the most prolific biblical and uh, linguists in the entire world, Dr. Eugene Peterson, okay? First Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible says, now getting down to the question you asked in your first letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife, for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world full of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether you're in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then, listen to this, come back together again, because Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Scripture says, if you're married, Protect your relationship by being intimate. Protect it. God does. A couple of years ago, I heard this quote. Wendy Powell actually shared it with me. Her pastor said it, so if you want to think it's profound, make sure he gets the credit. He said, God puts fences around things that are precious and dangerous, and sex is both. Let me say that again. Let it sink in. God puts fences around things that are precious and dangerous, Sex is both. Let me say something very unpopular in our culture. There's a symmetry all through Scripture, from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. The message found from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that sex is to be enjoyed as a gift from God within the context of a committed husband and a committed wife. There were years in the past when I would not have said that out loud because I would be afraid of the backlash. Let me have an honest moment. I care more about what Jesus thinks about this message than what I care about what you think about this message. And I hope and pray that's the way you would want it to be. Okay? Now, I'm not saying this in judgment. I'm not saying it in condemnation. I'm saying... If you have an issue with that symmetry, let's talk about it. 
Let's have a normal conversation and see what Scripture has to say. Because that really is who God is. When I do a wedding, one of the reasons I became a pastor is because of that statement. I now pronounce you husband and wife. I love that. But I love what comes next even more because it was Jesus' words. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Basically, don't you dare touch this. This is sacred. This is beautiful. This is permission at this point. So God says, don't try and tear apart what I put together either through disobedience, which is sin, or through apathy. Don't tear it apart. Don't get lazy. Instead, bind it together. So, okay, this is where it's going to get real for all of us, and we're almost done. Okay? If sex is your God, if you're courageous enough to actually say that, it's true. I've spent my life pursuing it. My whole identity is wrapped around it. It's true. Sex is my God. If that's you today, God wants to teach you the beauty of real intimacy. I believe He wants to replace the counterfeit that you're chasing with a relationship that starts in Him. And then if it's God's will, may find its fulfillment with another person. But let's leave that up to God, okay? He wants the relationship with Him to be the centerpiece of your life. If sex has been your God, this also I can say. Don't miss the beautiful story all through Scripture of how God loves to restore and heal and give back things that we gave away. That God is a loving God who, who wants... When God looks at you, man, don't forget what we learned a couple weeks ago. When God looks at us as one of His children, He doesn't see our record of wrongs. He sees the perfect record of Jesus superimposed on top of us, which means if we serve a God who is absolutely pure, even if we have messed up, it means that His purity transfers to us and we are as pure as can be. It's beautiful. God loves to heal that. One of my favorite verses, God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's as much in your Bible as the Song of Solomon is. Maybe you walked in today and your thought was, sex is gross. I believe God wants to teach you that His creation is beauty personified. That no matter your history or your perception, that God wants to give you back His pure intention for this very normal part of human experience. I know there are so many people in the room, and your experience is that sex was used as a weapon against you. May I be so bold as to say this, I believe that God can heal that memory. I believe that God can restore everything that was stolen from you. I believe God can give you back everything that He designed beautiful marriage intimacy to be. You know, if sex is a gift to you, awesome. In the right context, it should be enjoyed. But for a moment, I want to speak to a group of people in the room. This is where it's going to get really awkward, so just hang out with me, okay? People are like, more? It's like, yeah, a little more, all right? Hang in. I read a statistic last week that absolutely shocked me. They did a poll with over 3,000 Christian couples. 30%, almost a third of them, said their marriage could be described as non-intimate. 
and they're married, and they are not being intimate for a variety of reasons all over the place. Some of the reasons, physical reasons, valid, okay? And that's just hard. But the predominant number of them basically came down to either laziness or their partner had broken trust at some level, and so it's like, we're done. It's going to stop. If you are a follower of Jesus living in a non-intimate marriage without that very small percentage of very, very valid reasons, may I be so bold as to say, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's not right. And I believe God wants to heal even that somewhat awkward place in your marriage. I believe God wants you to enjoy pure intimacy, and if you've neglected this part of your relationship, I believe you need to repent and confess to the person that God has blessed you with and allow God to heal that. Let me put it this way. If you're in that group, in the name of Jesus, get a room. Boom. Husbands, step up. Lead. Wives, step up, lead, have the awkward conversation, get in your car, in the parking lot, look at each other and go, whoa. <laughs> Pray. I don't know how you're going to start it, just have the conversation and talk about the fact you're not protecting your marriage and let God speak in. If sex is a gift in the right context, it should be everything God created it to be. And when it's everything God created it to be, it's worth waiting for, it's worth cherishing, it's worth protecting, and it's worth nurturing for the sake of love. All right? Boom. That was good. <laughs> Mariette, that's great, okay? Awesome. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? Okay, here's the deal. I love the fact we can have this conversation in church, because I grew up not having it and made some really weird, twisted assumptions. God is not anti-sex. He's anti-sin, and He's anti-sin because He hates to see what it does to His kids. So He builds fences over things that are both precious, sacred, and dangerous, and sex happens to be both. So I want to thank you as a church for being willing to have this conversation. I think it's awesome. I think it's good. I think it proves that we're not afraid of tackling tough stuff. But I also want to say this to you. Every week after we're done, a group of people come and stand up here at the front called the After Service Prayer Team. And some of you are like, of all the weeks, I am not going to go pray with anybody because <laughs> people are going to connect some dots and that is not going to be good for me, all right? So I just want to say something before I pray over you and let you go. Uh, while I'm praying, I'm going to invite any of the after-service prayer team members or the pastors that are in the room. While I'm praying, I'm going to invite you to come down this direction because I just want you to know, some of you do need prayer today for healing. You're hurting. Some of you are emotionally hurting. I talked to a precious lady last night. Her first words before she started crying were, I'm going through a heartbreaking divorce. And I kind of waited like, she said, Grant, preach it bold tell the truth. 
tell the truth to the married people of Christ the King that the pain I'm going through, that there are answers in Jesus. So maybe you're going through that kind of pain. You need to pray. Maybe sex was used as a weapon, and you need someone to pray with you because it's just hard. Maybe you need prayer because your business is failing. Maybe you need prayer because your business is exploding. I mean, everybody could use a little prayer sometimes, and I just want you to know these people, they love you, they care about you, and that's why they come and stand here every week. So if you need prayer today, come this way. Give us the opportunity to pray with you. Boy, we'd sure love to do that. So I'd love to pray now over the marriages in the room. I'd love to pray over the singles in the room. I'd love to pray for every single person, and I just thank you for sticking with me through the whole thing. Okay, let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you care about this part of our lives. And I thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. So God, may we enter into the truth of what your word says, even when it makes us uncomfortable. Father, I pray for the marriages within this room right now. I pray that they would be bound together, not only just in emotional and spiritual intimacy, but also in physical intimacy as well. I pray that we would seek to lovingly serve our spouse because of the beautiful gift that you've given us. Father, I pray for the hard conversations that may need to happen. God, would you give grace? Would you give forgiveness and help? Lord, for those who who have felt violated in this area. I pray the God who is restoration would lovingly embrace them and heal that wound, knowing your, your hope and your love and your heart for them is complete, and total restoration. Father, I pray for the godly singles in this room. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for this amazing opportunity you've given them to focus on Jesus and only on Jesus. And we, we name them God as our heroes. Lord, may we never be the kind of people that pressure them into thinking that the answer to all of their needs comes in the form of another human being. God, may we never be so foolish, but may we always honor them as a person who is fully pursuing Jesus. And we'll leave the relational will part up to you and you alone. So God, I thank you for a church that can have this conversation. And Lord, may it be just that, a conversation about your perfect design and our pursuit of it. Lord, would you, uh, well, thank you for the gift. May we treat it as sacred and precious. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. So there's some awesome people up here, and if you need to pray for anything, God bless you. Have an amazing weekend, and enjoy your vitamin D. All right? Blessings.